Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. On April 6th, Uzbekistan's Senate, the Upper House of Parliament, approved a draft law that criminalizes domestic violence and strengthens protection for women and children. It was long overdue as the problem of gender-based violence is growing worse in Uzbekistan. And it was not an easy task. Many people were involved in pushing for stronger legislation and helping to identify the areas that needed attention, following the progress of the document as it made its way through Parliament, and all during that time spreading the word to the public about the need for these changes. To discuss this, I am joined by two people at the moment, uh, and hopefully a third later, who played huge roles in preparing this legislation and guiding it through government channels. Nazima Davletova is the chairperson of Uzbekistan's Mass Media Foundation and consultant on public and social sector. And Irina Matienko is a gender expert, feminist activist, and founder of Nemolchi.uz, an organization dedicated to ending gender violence and promoting gender equality. And thank you both for being on the show. And Nazima, if I could start with you, can you uh, give me an idea of some of the changes this bill introduces? What will change once this becomes law? Uh, and, and not obviously everything, because I want Irina to have a chance to speak about it, too. And I know there's a lot of changes. But can you give me some of the big changes this ha- that will come? Yeah, for me, I th- um, of course, the biggest change was the criminalization of domestic violence. And it's not just a uh, legal norm, but I think this is a huge blow um, against the uh, conservative and traditionalist norms. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a huge achievement. Another one, um, we have uh, increased the penalties for the sexualized crimes against minors. For this also, we had a huge resistance. And I think that also this is a great achievement in terms that we are acting towards more safer environment for children and for women. And um, of course, in the course of the current, you know, highlights in media about violence against minors, this was very timely. Um, actually, we had, you know, those cases of violence every time. But now, like, uh, due to media activities, due to uh, the work of the media, we are hearing them, you know, loudly. So, um, so that this is uh, a huge argument for uh, these amendments. And I think that these amendments actually were long awaited. Uh, So we are finally here. So basically, I think that these two directions were important for us uh, to increase the penalties against those crimes because in the existing uh, version, it's too mild, let's say. And uh, this is not a message for perpetrators, for aggressors, for rapists, that they cannot avoid the uh, real penalty. So, um, yeah, and maybe um, Delfuza or Irina could talk about the details of uh, the essence of those amendments, uh, but I can talk more about the social impact that these norms can have. Okay, thank you, and we'll get to that in just a second, but I will, in fact, uh, first I want to introduce uh, Delfuza Korolova. Uh, who has just joined us, and she is a human rights lawyer and activist for gender equality, From and she's from Uzbekistan. And uh, the first time we go to Irina here. Irina, can you can you follow up on, on um, what Nazima was saying? Can you give us some more details about these amendments? Uh, well, it's uh, quite difficult to give you more details because we haven't seen this uh, project of law yet. 
Of course, we discussed a lot of amendments in it, and as I know, it it have to be it has to be quite progressive. But uh, I don't know. For example, what was the uh, what were the latest amendments in this law? Uh, but as Nazima told, uh, we know that uh, the punishment for domestic violence will be introduced uh, as well as uh, the punishment for sexual crimes uh, towards minors uh, will be increased too. That's all. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Adelfuza, can you give us a, a few more details? I mean, it, it rages, for one, this raises the age of what constitutes a minor in the country, right? I mean, it was, I'd heard earlier legislation said uh, 16 and now it went up to 18, didn't it? Hi to everyone. Thank you so much for inviting. Yeah, as Irina mentioned as well, uh, so now the age is uh, raising, but it's also demolishing the consent-based sex. Let's say if you didn't know, I mean, the perpetrator didn't know the age, it doesn't matter for the court anymore. And they don't need to, you know, if they're a minor, then they don't even have a right to ask a consent. Another part of the of the law that uh, was adopted yesterday or April 6th uh, is about not only the punishment, but also provides the punishment for not finished crimes as well. Because as you know, that now current uh, legislation provides more easier uh, punishment for crimes that has not been f- uh, finished. They started but not finished. But now anything regarding the sexualized violence, uh, even if it's not finished crimes, there will be anyway harsh punishment for that. Also, sexual harassment is one of the administrative offenses that has never been before. And uh, there were many cases at workplaces, especially. And, and of course, the colleagues mentioned about the domestic violence as uh, one of the administrative and criminal crimes uh, admitted there. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, Irina, I want to get back to you for a second, but I'll, I'll follow up and get some comments from you on this, Dilfusa. Of course, um, you're all well acquainted with the, with this uh, horrible story coming out of Chorezm, uh from the orphanage out there. And I know that, that Irina, your organization reported on this extensively too, Nemolchi Dadus. What, what the new law, if this law, once this law comes into effect, what would be different about the way that case was handled? And for the for the benefit of the audience who might not know the story, uh, there was three underage girls uh, in the orphanage who were uh, essentially made to um, engage in sexual relations with two local officials, and the head of the orphanage actually knew about it. This was going on for several months. Uh, the head of the orphanage ended up getting five and a half years, I think, in prison or six and a half years. And, and the, but the two officials didn't um, really receive any punishment at all. They were essentially given the equivalent of house arrest. So, Irina, under the new laws, how would that case be handled different? I'm not sure if they can, uh, if it's possible to handle this case in terms of new law, because, uh, you know, uh, these happened uh, two years ago. Yes, almost two years ago. So... So it's impossible to apply a new law to this case. Uh, but I think, uh, I suppose, I suppose, of course, that uh, in case of a new investigation of, uh, this, of this case, uh, they can maybe just look at this case as a rape case uh, in terms of 118 article. 
so it it has to be punishment about 10 years maybe i don't i don't know yet Dilfus, do you know yeah i actually can yeah yeah that's true and yeah um i just had a comment that actually uh irina has been referring to this case earlier during the discussions of this draft law and uh actually we um referred to the problem in practice and that's why we decided to suggest this increase in punishment in the article uh, 128 because 128 uh it's uh the article for sexual intercourse with minor and uh the uh, article that irina is referring uh about the rape of a minor is 118 so in practice you know these articles can be easily uh replaced so in case even in cases of rapes even in cases when you can find evidence for rape and for in like enforcement they can be easily uh, reviewed or revised as Article 128 as the just the sexual intercourse without any enforcement. So this is the problem of practice. And that's why we were actually, you know, trying to change the norms to increase the punishment for this article to get rid of those loopholes uh, that allow the criminals to avoid the real punishment. If I may add here just a practical thing, Irina shared uh, that yeah, um, if it's uh, in the case of minors, it, it has to be 118 part three, that is for imprisonment of 10 to 15 years old. But I would like to say two things. One is the law does not have, is not retroactive. So if the case is happening right now, then harsher punishment or new law cannot be applied. So this is a rule in um, many legal countries. So this is a principle of uh, criminal justice. And uh, this new law can be applicable only in new investigations or in new cases, but not the cases that is currently reviewing in the process uh, right now. The second thing is about uh, using the more harsh punishment than, than lighter. So in case if uh, the law is adopted and and it has this for the same crime harsh punishment then it cannot be used but if there is new investigation and it's done according to new law then harsh punishment can be applied so the the point is that in the case of harism right now if even if tomorrow law adopts the court cannot use it because the process is ongoing. But if the process is not started and new investigation will start after the adoption of the law, then new law adopted will be applied in the investigation and then it can be used for the judgments and the punishment. I hope it's clear and <laughs> not confusing. No, that is. That is. Thank you very much. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was just wondering if... Um, you know, in that case, understanding that you can't retry somebody on charges they've already been tried on once, that that if if this, uh, well, that's what I wanted to clarify. If a similar case, and hopefully it won't, but if a similar case came up a year from now after this, after this law was already passed, um, you know, it, we were talking about loopholes. Uh, would that be enough of a guarantee that local officials would not get uslovna punishment? 
uh, you know, like I said, they, they were basically put under kind of house arrest. They couldn't leave the country or anything like that, but they didn't do any prison time. Um, so would, would this new law in a similar situation help to, to prevent these kind of rulings from being given by a court then? I think surely it will be because it's uh, also giving more harsher punishment and uh, any minor is protected. So you don't have to ask uh, any kind of permission. You don't have to say that, oh, I didn't know the age or and et cetera. So this is like uh, absolutely uh, be giving more punishment for same deeds. But of course, it's uh, it's really much uh, related to the investigation, how it's going on. And if I mean, if you have fair enough investigators and good enough prosecutors, then I think even in Horizon case, uh, they could ask for more charges. But again, it is depending on uh, crimes committed. It is depending when it has happened and and evidences they they collect. But I think and hope that uh, this adopting new law will give more harsh uh, punishment for perpetrators, especially those who are in power. Okay. Okay. Thank you uh, for clarifying all that. Um, Nazima, I'll go to you because you wanted to talk about some of the social aspects of this, but I'm real curious about what this law does for Kaleen. If you are Kaleen um, and you are the victim of abuse, who knows, domestic rape, uh, certainly abuse at home, does, does this law, do these laws contain something that protects these, um, these young women? Yeah, uh, the answer stems from the previous question. Once we have laws, we also need to provide the law enforcement. And this is uh, the most difficult part of this process. But as I've mentioned before, I think that the uh, approval of this law is a huge blow against those traditional traditional norms, uh, which are dominating in our society. And, um, you know, those law enforcement bodies, um, I mean, local law enforcement bodies, they are all part of that society. So that it depends a lot on their professionalism and on their approach. And um, I think what we need is a very, very comprehensive approach. So we need a strategy and implementation uh, of the standard operating procedures for which I'm advocating for a long time. So we need to have, you know, a coordination among the uh, all the re- relevant uh, bodies and agencies and ministries so that they need to work as a as a solid mechanism. So they need to react and to respond and try to prevent the situations of violence. I think in our society we have, I mean, uh, there are lots of problems in terms of uh, law enforcement because the, the informal practices, they are still dominating. So people prefer to go for informal practices rather than to simply follow the laws and the legal procedures. And this is a problem. So the first problem I think we are going to face is if or whether a woman killing or like, you know, uh, it's very, uh, I think that simplifying things like putting or uh, as um, labeling women as just killing, let's say women uh, in families, uh, whether they go to report about violence. Once they report, do we have a system of response according to those laws? And I think that uh, we need several years to make these laws really work. But this is a process. And I think that the uh, message the state is now sending to criminals and to rapists, and, uh, to perpetrators, is that the government is not going to tolerate violence. 
and that's a that that's an achievement. So I think that uh, this message should be and must be applied in reality. So the the system should work, and I think it's a huge work. Um, again, a joint one with the civil society, with the government agencies, um, with international organizations, and we need to train the uh, law enforcement body staff. We need to train the healthcare system. We need to train the social adaptation. And actually, we need to talk about the rehabilitation of victims of violence, of any kind of violence, because this system is actually lagging behind. So uh, when we talk about the rehabilitation, then we need to, um, you know, to make it, again, comprehensive and systemic. So there shouldn't, you know, um, I think the problem now and the problem in the the good side is also that media is not is now vocal. We're talking about that. We are covering those issues. We are speaking about them. But this should not be like that. I mean, like, yes, it's good that media is talking, but we need to make it a system, a mechanism, not just because media is talking, but the reaction should be automatic. So if there is a case of violence, all the relevant agencies have to deliver their tasks. And that should become a systemic one. Okay, um, thank you. Uh, and we've reached the halfway point in our discussion. So it's time for me to remind that this is the Medjlis podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. We're talking about Uzbekistan's draft bill criminalizing domestic violence and strengthening protection that now awaits the president's signature to become law. And joining me to discuss this are three women who played a leading role in seeing the law passed, or at least get this far. Dilfuza Kurolova, a human rights lawyer and activist for gender equality in Uzbekistan. Uh, Irina Matvienko, gender expert, feminist activist, and founder of Nemolchi.uz, an organization dedicated to ending gender violence and promoting gender equality. Nazima Davletova, chairperson of Uzbekistan's Mass Media Foundation and consultant on public and social sector. Uh, and thank you all for being here again. Um, you know, so let's pick this up because the social aspect, of course, is, is going to be really key to this. The law, it's great that the law is on paper, but of course, we've, we've discussed some of the problems they have with, with gender inequality and violence in the past on this program. And, and we know that there's a lot of social pressure to solve problems, even when it involves violence, uh, outside the legal system as much as possible. Irina, how much of, it a, cha- as a, of a challenge has it been for Neymolchi Daruz, for instance, in, in your work and for others to try to change the thinking of society so that the law actually is something that people go to to resolve their problems rather than trying to just take the punishment and stay at home as maybe their neighbors or even family members are telling them to do? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's uh, quite uh, difficult and uh, long-term uh, work to change um, people's behavior, uh, maybe 10 or 20 years at least. And I'm not sure that we change uh, the, we have changed the perception of decision-makers when we try to explain and promote our norms, our laws. Uh, but at least, of course, uh, we could use international standards, we could use cases, uh, argumentation, etc., just to explain them why we need uh, these changes. But in fact, you know that implementation of the law is a very important process too. And 
for example, of course, we, for example, yes, we provided an article uh, on domestic violence. But uh, how many women will uh, complain, will report to their husbands? We have maybe spent years to explain them that they have to do it, that they have uh, to work, for example, they have to study, just uh, yes, just to be sure in their future, just not being being dependent on their on their husband. So I I think uh, it just maybe start of our work, and uh, we need uh, we need to promote more women independent independence, uh, women empowerment, and that etc. Okay, thank you. Uh, Dilfusa, uh, how about, you know, you've been working on this, uh, helping with this bill for a long time and in doing work on gender equality even before that. What, how much of a challenge was it for you when you started working on this bill and help, you know, working together to try to craft something that addressed as many of the important issues as possible for this law? Well, um, as colleagues mentioned, Nazima and uh, Irina, of course, it, it, it takes a lot of time to change. And I think here, uh, what I have to say, in my humble opinion, is that government has to have a trust and uh, a dialogue with civil society and activists. I think here, with this cooperation between government and civil society and activists, this mindset change can go faster. Uh, rather than it will be done separately by the government and by civil society. Of course, I started uh, a longer ago, uh, but I see that even educated women, for example, they graduated universities, they still do not know their rights. And for example, today I received another uh, complaint saying that they can, they address to everywhere demanding for their rights in terms of domestic violence, but nothing could happen and they could not even claim for their rights and, and prosecutor or um, minister of internal affairs. They try to reconcile uh, families. And I think this institution of reconciliation is something that is really terribly driven by very conservative part of the society. And I hope that this will be reflected in the law as well, because we have this article 66.1 in the criminal code, which allows actually uh, any victim or anyone who submitted the case to the court to get rid of or take it off. And I think this is the worst thing when when victims know uh, by default that they don't have a justice, they don't have access to justice, or uh, there is no trust to the system, perhaps, as Irina mentioned, people will not even go to claim their rights because by default they will understand that, okay, if I go there, I will be made or forced to take it off. And the law allows it. And if you look to the more developed countries, um, uh, let's say European countries, or for example, last year I was in Israel, even there, if the victim submits the case to the court on domestic violence, even if she comes and say, no, we are happily ever family, the court will never end the case. They will review it after the trial. Court may decide that the family violence or domestic violence is not taking place or uh, or make some punishment or make some decision. So the case will never be stopped. And now this reconciliation institution is really much putting a threat 
to the laws, because even if you have very strong laws, even if we pushed for criminalization of domestic violence, we pushed for uh, protection of children from the violence. But then if you have the reconciliation clause, of course, you will have, first of all, corruption uh, schemes and then, you know, risks. The second, you will also have uh, this ability to force victims to take it off. And the third, you will have a social pressure. And then the victim, most, in most cases, they will say, okay, I don't want to be in the trouble, so I better not to go there. Or uh, if I go, I have a right to take it off. And I think this institution is very deeply rooted. And one of the things that I really struggle and uh, together with the all other members of the working group, we tried along with other uh, articles uh, to push the demolition or to take it off uh, any sexualized violence crimes in reconciliation cases. Well, thank you very much. Um, Nazima, uh, you know, you are chair, the chairperson of the Mass Media Foundation. Are you running any special campaigns, you know, to, to educate the public on these laws or the need for these laws? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, we have started that campaign um, in December last year. We have started with a conference, um, and we talked about the needs to change the laws and in changing the uh, social norms via media. So, media is a you know good um, instrument to change the social norms, and it's the most effective one. And as a part of that campaign, we organized an action uh, with the Minister of Transport in the underground. So, uh, we have put uh, banners depicting the national decoration of ICAT with uh, the voices of women that are defined as uh, the decoration of ICAT. So we made the voices of women calling for help in Equalizer and uh, we put it in the form of a cut. So that was a part of, you know, our project uh, that was aimed at raising awareness about violence. And, you know, when you see those pictures, you should feel that and you should hear the voices of women that are calling for help. And we need to sensitize this problem. Another one was our video where we tried to engage men to become more gender sensitive. They've been reading the personalized stories of women um, victims of uh, domestic violence. And actually, you know, the reactions of those men who were reading those stories, they were celebrities, they were sportsmen, they were um, from public sector, they were politicians and uh, journalists, really, you know, popular one. And when they were reading those stories, they were just crying. And I think that this is something that we need to show and to demonstrate to the broader audience and that men can also be very empathetic. And when, you know, they see their, their fans uh, see those stories from the mouth of their, you know, celebrities, their favorite celebrities and their role models, they will approach uh, gender-based violence in a more sensitive way. So that was one of our, you know, uh, messages. Another great achievement of our foundation is uh, that we wrote a manual for journalists and bloggers and we are going to announce it soon. We, are go we have uploaded this manual on more gender-sensitive coverage in media. 
we have uploaded in our website, so we're going to announce it soon. And this is also a very important part of our work, how the journalists and bloggers should cover the issues of uh, gender, of women empowerment, and uh, how to represent female image in uh, cinematography and how not to sexualize the image of women and how not to justify the discrimination and violence against women. So it's going to be a very good one, you know, but it, the, the language, the, the manual is written is very like light. So it's very easy to understand. So it can be used not only by, you know, by the journalists and bloggers, but also by uh, people that actually engaged in uh, any campaigns in social media. Uh, you know, if I just one thing for the benefit of our audience, if you want to give uh, tell the audience what that what where your website is, so they can see all this. Yeah, it's massmedia.us. Okay, great, thank you. And Delfuz, I'll get to you because I know that uh, you have a, an appointment that you got to go to. And thank you very much for being here. You know, two things. One, uh, that we're getting to the end. So, any last comments or thoughts that you want to uh, that you want to make? Now is your chance to do it. But I'm also curious uh, to know. What what when you were getting this legislation together and you were working to get the wording right to get it into the to the government's attention to get it through parliament and everything, what did you find? What was surprising to you? What was easier than you thought it was going to be, and what was more difficult than you thought it was going to be? Thank you so much. I think for me it was quite an experience. It's a very interesting experience, I would say, and stressful and, and exhausting. <laughs> but um, I think it was one of the best experience. Why? Because of the two things. One, I met wonderful women uh, that we I call myself. I call them as a friends, like Irina, her team. Um, there were Safinas, Nazima, and and the rest of the people. Lailo, for example, we became like a very good team. And I think this practice or this um, group for made us to make a coalition. Yeah, so I can call it as a coalition because we could because we didn't work before, but now. We had to work together just to push common things forward and for the better benefit. And it's much easier and, and faster if we can collaborate and work together. The second thing for me, it was surprising that uh, actually government tried to listen to us. Of course, this fight was very stressful. It was draining. It was exhausting. And it was even sometimes um like I came up and I was like almost crying. Uh, but at the same time, I think this is a great, you know, time when government actually included all of us to the group as a, you know, independent expert, as an activist, as a journalist. And, um, and then we can talk to them in a very equal opinion. Of course, not all of our, uh, argumentations were considered, but at least we could sit together. Uh, we could try to convince them and and I think it also pushed uh, things forward and then it, it it was considered by very high level politicians and and decision makers what surprised me or what actually made me sad that these comments by participants especially decision makers some of the decision makers for me it was like very blow minding and sometimes I thought like, this is not real, this is a movie, or this is like <laughs> something that 
cannot be happening uh, because irrational, absolutely not logical argumentations or counter-argumentation provided by uh, some of the people were just honestly uh, frightening me because they are taking very high-level positions and uh, it's really scary when such people are decision-makers. But uh, overall, of course, uh, by the help of many, many people, we could push at least two-thirds of our recommendation. And hopefully, I still have a hope that all recommendations will be considered and um, I'm still in a positive side. But I'm really thankful for this opportunity to get to know, first of all, these good friends of mine that uh, I think we will keep in touch for longer time. Thank you. Good. Thank you very much. Irina, uh, same. If there's anything that you wanted to say uh, that you haven't had a chance to say, please feel free to do so. Uh, And also, I'm curious about what were you surprised at? What was easier than you thought and what was harder than more difficult than you thought about getting this legislation as far as it's as it has progressed? Uh, Well, I cannot. uh, I'm I'm totally agree with Delfusa regarding our coalition. Uh, like a grassroots female coalition, <laughs> and we we have a small uh, group, uh, Telegram group, and we named is as Lubimki uh, Sinata Dilfuza. How how can we translate it? Uh, I think it's like uh, beloved <laughs> by Sinate. <laughs> beloved by Sinate. Okay. Uh, yes, but. Uh, I really, I discovered new uh, sides of character of Delfusa, uh, of Safinas. For me, it was uh, very surprising that Lilo from General Prosecutor's Office uh, joined us and uh, fight uh, together with us uh, for these amendments. So it was really surprising because uh, what uh, I mentioned that Government, okay, state officials, they look, uh, they looked at us as oppositioners. But Lilo stayed together with us. And, uh, for me, it's very important. And I understand the, she became, uh, uh, maybe an example that, uh, state, uh, state, uh, employers, they also support us. Uh, but, uh, also, I was very disappointed that uh, all NGOs uh, which participated in our working group, they were silent and passive. So it was really disappointed. And I understood that uh, when our government invites NGOs as civil society representatives in different working groups, they just sit, sit and sleep or keep silence and they, they don't fight for any laws, for any amendments. And that's why I think it's very important to include not NGOs, but civil society, civil activists in such groups, because I think uh, this law is, uh, yes, is a victory of independent activists, not an NGOs. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, and Nazima, I guess you get the final word. And and once again, if there's something I missed that you want to say, uh, please feel free to do so at this time. Uh, And I do want to know what you were surprised about during this process, both positive and negative. Okay, Uh, so I do agree with uh, with Irina and Delfuza. 
So, you know, um, I don't think that uh, there was something that really surprised me. I mean, what I am proud of is that female solidarity that we had. So I'm really proud of the team of activists and uh, in this working group. And I really, I do agree that there were lawyers from the general prosecutor's office that were really brilliant. Uh, and their support was really huge, you know, because they work as practitioners. So they see the reality and they were very empathetic. So I'm really proud of that female solidarity that we had. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and that was the momentum when with the joint efforts, we had this um, achievement all together. And another positive thing was that maybe this thing surprised me positively. Uh, but this wasn't a surprise, but, I, um, but a thing that made me really happy. We had a support from the government as well. We had the resistance but we had also that support. So I felt the support of Saida Mirzioeva, which had, you know, powerful voice and she was really advocating for all these amendments and she stood uh, strong um, with us. And, um, and of course, you know, there were people from the system that supported us. So uh, that, that really makes me happy because I think without their support, it would be really hard to get to the point. Um, and I think that, you know, if this has happened, if this achievement uh, is there, uh, it means that our society is transforming. And this really makes me more positive and optimistic about, uh, you know, the perspectives of uh, the women empowerment and the protection of children's rights. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, and really, my congratulations to all of you and nothing but respect for you and, and the work you've been doing. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, so thank you, Irina, Nazima and Dofusa for being on the program. Uh, I'm looking forward to a future program where we can talk about new milestones that you all have reached. Uh, and of course, a big thank you to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjolice podcast producer in Washington, D.C., and a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjolis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>